All right. Well, go ahead and get your Bibles open to Ruth. We're going to continue on in Redeeming Ruth this week. Um, and we're going to kind of take a little bit of a turn tonight, talk about a subject that um, I just don't feel like we talk about a lot in church, really because the Bible doesn't necessarily address it a lot. Um, but we're going to talk about God and my risk. And what's it look like when life brings risk at, to us? And how does God's sovereignty and God's providence play into that? And um, so we're going to be in chapter 3 of Ruth tonight to look at that. But as I was thinking through and talk, thinking about risk, I remembered as a kid um, going to the circus. Who, who went to the circus as a kid? Like who, who, you're, maybe you took your own kids, your grandkids, whatever, right? So, you know, there's lots of risky acts at the circus. That's what makes it so cool, right? It's like all this stuff going on and people are riding motorcycles and balls and running into each other. And you got people doing all kinds of crazy stuff. But the one that really always struck me was either... The, the, the people that would walk across the tightrope, right? Like, like 30, 50 feet in the air or, or the trapeze that they're flying through the air. And there's, there's nothing there. Like there's no net, right? Like if they were really good. Like sometimes you went to like the OK circus and they still had like the little, you know, when you weren't supposed to see, but it was still there. Um, but whenever they're getting ready, they don't just step up there the first time with no net and just start walking out. Like that's just not the way it plays. The, and during practice, during the preparation, during their time of getting ready for that, there's always a safety net there, right? So even if they fall, even if they mess up, even if they, um, you know, something happens, they might injure themselves, but ultimately they're going to be okay, right? Like something bad might happen, but ultimately their life is going to be intact. Things are still going to play out okay for them because there's that safety net there. And for us as believers, there are times when we're walking in faith with the Lord and we have to take a step of faith that's pretty risky or seems risky to us. There's a risk involved, and God kind of works for us as that safety net. So even though when we're stepping out in risk sometimes, we don't have to fear that it's going to be risky because God is with us. Are you with me on that? His providence, his sovereignty sustains us even in those moments of risk. And so that's your first thing in your notes there tonight. Our big idea that I want you to walk away with is this. My faith in the Lord requires risk, but it's never risky. My faith in the Lord requires risk at times, but even when it does, because he is there, because I can trust in him, it's never risky to take that step of faith. And we're going to see that in the, in the life of Ruth tonight, especially as she gets herself in a pretty interesting situation here in chapter 3. So um, the question I'm going to try to tackle for you tonight to help you discern how, can I, how do I take a risk for God without being risky? right? Because there has to be something that differentiates the two. And we're going to see three steps tonight to kind of help you with that through this chapter three of, of Ruth. So let's pick up in verse one. It says, then Naomi, her mother-in-law said to her, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to him, the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, then go and uncover his feet and lie down. Anybody else, like, getting a little worried already at this scenario? And he will tell you what to do. Okay. And then she replied, and all Ruth says is, all that you say, I will do. Okay? So, first thing I want you to see here about how do we take a risk with God without it being risky, the first step is this. Start with faith and wisdom. Start with faith and wisdom. We've already seen in the story up to this point that Ruth is definitely a woman of faith, right? Like she's taken some major steps of faith already. She, she left her, her home country of Moab, traveled all the way to Bethlehem to be with her mother-in-law who has no hope in the world at all. She, when she gets there, she goes out in the fields and starts gleaning, even though it's dangerous, even though there could, harm could come to her, even though she's a foreigner and nobody's gonna treat her right. She takes these, why? Because she's willing to take these risks because she trusts in the Lord. She has faith. She's found this new God and she knows he's going to take care of her no matter what that requires of her along the journey. But here, in this scenario, Naomi steps up and she tries to give some wisdom to help direct Ruth's faith in a new direction, in a new risk, if you will. And this kind of plays off of what we talked about last week. If you remember, one of the things we really hit on hard last week was the need for godly mentoring and wise counsel in our lives. And that God has set the church up with, with senior and younger men and women to help guide one another. And we need those older, more wise um, 
believers who have been walking with the Lord to speak truth and to speak wisdom into those younger believers to help them come along. And Naomi's doing that here for Ruth. And it's important. She's giving her this wise counsel. And what she's, what she's trying to do here is, and, and what we used to call, she's seeking out the DTR talk. All right? That's what she's setting up for Ruth. Anybody, anybody know what the DTR is? Okay. So this is the define the relationship talk, okay? So she's like, all right, you've been, you've been at the fields for like, you know, several weeks now. You've been in Boaz's fields doing the work and you guys kind of had a little thing going there for a second. It seems to have cooled down. And if we remember at the end of chapter two, last week it told us that they were at the end of harvest season. So at this point, if something doesn't happen, the two of them are going their separate ways. So Naomi's like, no, 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 hold on. We're gonna take care of this, all right? We're gonna get this DTR on the table. And so she says, why? Because I'm seeking rest for you that it may be well with you. Now, when we're reading the English translation, we might glance over that and be like, well, that sounds nice, but whatever that means. But in the Hebrew, those words have very specific meaning. You see, when they talked about seeking rest for a young woman in the Hebrew culture, it was rest in the arms of her husband. It was seeking specifically marriage for her. Right? This actually points back to the prayer she prayed for Ruth way back in chapter one, verse nine. You remember that? Whenever she's getting ready to leave and she's saying, no, stay here, go back to your family in Moab. Uh, and I'm praying that the Lord brings you rest, that he brings you a husband. So she, she, now she's saying, no, no, now it's not my, my job to seek rest for you. And that it may be well with you, and that it may be well with you means family and children, that, it, that you might have a life that is rich with the blessings of the Lord, Okay. And so she's, and, and if you remember in this day, it wasn't like our culture today, dating didn't happen, okay? They had courtship at best. And so the way this worked was a man would see a woman that he desired to have for his wife. He would go to the father and express his intentions. And then the father and him wouldn't kind of negotiate back and forth. And the father would have to give his blessing and then give the daughter to this man. Problem, Ruth doesn't have a father here. She doesn't have a brother here. She doesn't have a single male in her life to play interference for her with Boaz and get this thing worked out. So Naomi says, all right, I'm gonna step up and do that, all right? I know technically that's not my role and that's outside the social norms, but we need, you need this and I want it to be well for you. And she says, is Boaz not our relative? Which is a totally rhetorical question because we've already established he is in the last couple chapters, right? But what she's pointing here to is she's saying, he's a relative of ours, I can do this. I, I can help you here. Okay, trust me on this. And what's interesting, I told you at the very beginning of the book, one of the themes we're gonna see is that God is constantly calling us to step up and be used by him to answer our own prayers. And back in chapter one, Naomi prayed that Ruth would find a husband, all right? And now God is using her to make that happen. Are you with me? All right, and so, and in this case, it's even better because he's using her not to find a Moabite husband, but to find a Jewish husband, a husband of her new faith that's in line with her new God. And it's gonna be a beautiful thing. And so she says, now listen, here's the deal. Boaz is down, he's winnowing barley on the threshing floor, okay? So let's just kind of, again, unpack that for a second. What's winnowing mean? Winnowing was the process that they would use after the harvest was done. They would go down, they would take these tools and they would, they would basically um, just chuck up all the grain into the air and it would separate because the grain was heavier and the chaff was lighter. And so as they threw it up in the air with these tools, the grain would fall back down and the wind would catch the chaff and throw it down, down the field a little ways, okay? That's how they would separate what was usable from what was not usable. And so that's, that's what they would do after the harvest. They would get together and have basically like a big winnowing party, all right? And, and, and they would go to the threshing floor, which was this area outside the city it was usually a very hard surface. It might be like a stone, like a big rock in the side of a cliff, or it might be like a beaten down, dirt, hard area. So they could, they could do this process and they would go and they would do this on the threshing floor, usually after sundown, because that's, the winds after the sun went down were the ones that were best for the process for them to be able to do this. So she says, tonight, he's out winnowing at the threshing floor. So here's what we're gonna do. She says, wash, anoint yourself, and get dressed, all right? In other words, Go get dolled up, all right? Go clean up, take a bath, put on some perfume, put on your nicest cloak, get yourself looking nice, and, and you're gonna go down and see Boaz. Now remember, up to this point, Boaz has only seen her in the fields, right? Working, where she's got her work clothes on and she's nasty and she's sweaty and kind of funky and the hair's all up in the, in the messy bun, right? And so like she's just, like at this point, it hasn't been 
But she's like, no, no, tonight you need to get, you need to change that. Get, get yourself cleaned up, get on a nice cloak, and you're gonna go down, you're gonna see Boaz on the threshing floor. And there's also a chance here that she, up to this point, she was probably still mourning her previous husband. And they had certain attire they wore for that, and no man would ever approach a woman who was in mourning. That was very disgraceful, okay? So Boaz couldn't have even approached her yet if he really wanted to, okay? So she's like, take off those clothes, put on a nice cloak, get yourself cleaned up, go down to the threshing floor. <clears throat> and so one of the things I've been kind of, a kind of a side theme we've been tracking through this entire book is just the, the wisdom and the advice that it gives us about relationships in general. So we're gonna add like five or six more things to our relationship advice column tonight, okay? So here's the first one. God has designed men and women with certain roles in, in family, in relationships, in the church, and, and men are supposed to be the leaders. They're supposed to be the pursuers. They're supposed to be the ones who take the initiative. And so what's happening here is Naomi is not telling her to pursue Boaz. She shouldn't do that. That's not her place. He should be pursuing her. But women, you don't want to pursue men, but sometimes you have to get in their way, all right? Sometimes we're just a little dense, okay? And you kind of have to get in front of them and kind of, like, you guys know our story. Um, Courtney and I were like best friends for like two years before I was like, oh, maybe this should maybe be something else. I don't know, right? Like sometimes you have to make, get on purpose and just kind of get in the guy's way because they're just not quite, catching on to what's going on here okay so so that's the first thing i would tell you second thing notice it says she tells she tells uh, ruth wait until he's done eating and drinking right so here's kind of the process they would go through for harvest they would go down they would do all the work they would throw the stuff up they'd all, and after that after they were done with their work they would kind of have like a little feast to celebrate the success of all this business right so they would have good food and they'd have good wine and they would just kind of celebrate and so naomi's like hey okay listen up don't talk to him until he's done Okay, two things here for relationship, for you, especially for you ladies, okay? First of all, this is just kind of a, an overall arching thing for the whole book. For you single ladies, don't seek out relationship advice from other single ladies, okay? Seek married ladies who actually know what they're talking about, okay? Because your single friends think they know what they're talking about when it comes to men, but they don't actually have the experience that they need to speak with any type of, veracity and this goes for guys too all right but this just happens to be a lady speaking to a lady here and so seek wisdom where wisdom is actually present right speak to those who actually know how to handle a relationship with the opposite sex and so that's the first thing then the second thing is based on that Naomi is telling Ruth here it's all about timing all right if you want to talk to Boaz about this that's good you need to do that but at the right time okay don't interrupt him while he's working don't interrupt him while he's eating and, and, and having a good time and celebrating his business Timing is everything, right? Like, don't talk to him while the Super Bowl's on about, you know, next week's, you know, calendar. That's not a good time. It's not gonna play out well, right? Like when we first got married, I told, Courtney and I are very different people as most married couples are. And so she's a night person and I'm not. And so her brain just like, it like, like six o'clock, it just, it's like an on switch at 6 p.m. Boom, her brain's like going 100 miles an hour for, to like midnight, okay? And so, so we would, and when we first got married, we would, you know, we were a married couple. We, we wanted to, to, you know, we were in love and we wanted to be near one another. So we'd always go to bed together, right? Like we didn't go to bed, so we'd go to bed together. And so we'd go and we'd get ready and I'd brush my teeth, she'd brush her teeth, and all kind of we'd get in bed. And so we'd lay down, we'd kiss each other goodnight. And so I'm one of those people that once my head hits the pillow, like 30 seconds, like I'm done, I'm out, it is over. And so she lays down and, and she wants to talk about all the important stuff coming up tomorrow and the next week. And, and that happened about three, four times. And then the next day she'd be like, I told you about that. I'm like, you did not tell me about that. <laughs> She's like, I did tell you about it last time. I'm like, okay, we're gonna have to come up with a, with, a, with a thing here. I'm not responsible for anything you tell me once my head hits the pillow. Like that is not the time to be sharing information with me that I need to remember, okay? So timing is everything. And so Naomi is trying to show Ruth that here in this, in this moment, okay? So she said like, wait till he's done with his work, wait till he's done eating and drinking. And, <clears throat> and so again, he's having a celebration feast here and we all know the way to a man's heart is through his stomach. So don't bother him while he's eating, okay? And, and, and she also says, you know, don't bother him until he's done drinking. And I, I just wanna make it clear here as we get deeper into the passage, we've already established that Boaz is a worthy man, right? Like that's been very, very clear throughout the book. And so when it talks about him drinking, he is drinking. And the Bible doesn't have anything against drinking. It does have something against getting drunk. 
Drunkenness is a sin. It's very clear in scripture. And so Boaz is not doing that here. She's not telling him to wait until he's drunk so he's inebriated and you can get him to do whatever you want him to do, okay? That's not what's playing out here because Boaz isn't drinking to that extent, all right? So she says, wait till he's done. It's a timing thing, all right? And then it gets weird. She says, then when he goes and he lies down, go and uncover his feet and lie down at his feet, all right? Maybe like the, the oddest counsel in the entire Bible, right? Like I'm just, I'm sitting there shaking. I'm like, I would never tell my daughter to do that. Like that is not, like some of you guys that we've had conversations about singleness and I'm like, listen, nothing good happens after 10 p.m. alone on a couch together, all right? Like if you're not married, that's not a place to be. Like you need to go like be somewhere in public or like I would never tell my daughters to do this, but that's what she says. And, and really what she's trying to do, is she's trying to say, wait till, it's, till he's alone. Wait till it's a private setting for this conversation that needs to happen. And so what happens is the guys, they would thresh all their, their grain and their wheat and stuff. And then at the end of the night, they would lay down at the, at the end of the, the, the heap of, of grain to guard it. Because they couldn't take it into town until the next morning. It was too dark and transporting and so forth. And they didn't want any thieves to come and get it. They didn't want animals to come and eat it. So they would lay there all night and guard the grain. That's why he's laying down, okay? And so she's like, wait till he lays down. He's gonna cover himself up. Go uncover his feet. And literally that's all it means is uncover his feet. There's no into window here, okay? There's, she's not telling her to do anything else. It's just literally uncover his feet and lay down at his feet. Very, very, very risky. Can we agree on that? Like this, is, this just seems like a pretty risky move at this point. But I think what happens here is Naomi understands Ruth. She knows Ruth. She knows her character. She knows that she's a worthy woman of the Lord and she believes she can trust her even in this risky situation not to step over that line. Are you with me? She says, go and do this. And then this is the part that even perplexes me more. And then she says, and he'll tell you what to do. Okay? Not only does she trust Ruth's character a lot, she trusts Boaz's character. She trusts Boaz that he's a worthy man. He's not going to take advantage of her. He's not going to respond in a way that's inappropriate. He's going to respond exactly as he should. And so really what hap is happening here is Naomi's encouraging Ruth to make her love known, but then to let him be the one who does the initiation of the relationship, right? Like go and make him known, this, this is how I feel, but then he's the one who has to lead the relationship, lead the marriage, lead into this relationship and you know, it's go and get in his way, all right? But then let him be the one who takes the next step. And, and Ruth simply says, all that you say I will do. She submits to Naomi's odd and somewhat risky counsel um, as being from the Lord. Um, and so when I was thinking about this, I was actually thinking back through the Bible and I think God works like this a lot, actually. Think about all the things in the, in the word where God leads his people into pretty weird, risky situations, right? Like, yeah, Abraham, He's like, take your son, Isaac, the son of promise who's gonna make you into a whole nation and go kill him and sacrifice him to me. Okay, God. And like, God doesn't stop him until the knife's in the air, right? Like, that's, that's risky, that's odd. Or I was thinking about Gideon, right? God's like, all right, you're the guy. And he's like, I'm not the guy. He's like, no, you're the guy. And you're gonna go fight these people and get you an army together. He's like, all right, God, I got my army, 32,000 men. He's like, no, no, that's too many. Like, no, no, I thought you said we're going to war. Like, more is better, right? Like, anybody else that played that game before? She's like, no, no, 32,000 is too many. Weed it down. Gets down to 300 guys, right? Not the movie 300. Like, just, this is a different 300, okay? But it gets down to 300 guys, and then they go off to fight 120,000 Midianites. Risky, right? Like, odd, risky. Are you with me on that? Right? Or I was thinking about David and Saul. Like, so Saul's chasing him. He's trying to kill him. He wants him dead every chance he gets. Finally, David catches him alone in the cave, in the dark. He can take him out. This is his chance. And he doesn't. He says, no, I can't. This is God's anointed. Somebody's after my life. <laughs> and I'm just saying, it's gonna be a hard opportunity to pass up. Right? Paul and, An Paul and Ananias, right? Paul gets struck with blindness. He's in the city. God's like, go cure his sight. And he's like, do you know who you're talking about? Have you heard about this dude? Like he's coming here to kill us and put us in prison. And you want me to help him? And God's like, yeah, he's my guy. You need to go heal him. And Ananias goes and does it. 
God sends Jesus, the Savior, the Messiah, the one who's going to, to make everything different, and then he says, but he's going to die. Risky, right? To everyone else in the picture, they're sitting there going, are you serious? You're going to finally send us somebody to deliver us, but you're going to kill him? See, most of the time, when God is calling us out in faith, he's doing it through risk. And so we have to assess that through the eyes of faith and wisdom to know, is this where God is at? And to take that step. So the question I would give you for this one is this. Am I trusting the Lord and heeding godly counsel? When a risk comes up, when a step of faith comes up and you're trying to decide, is this from the Lord? Am I trusting the Lord? Am I trusting his sovereignty? And am I heeding godly counsel of those around me? That's the first step. All right, second thing, look at verse six through 10. So verse six, it says, so she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. All right, just like Naomi said he was going to do. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, a little while later, the man was startled and turned over and behold, a woman lay at his feet. And he said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, and that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. The second step in deciding if this is a risk worth taking, or if this is just a risky thing, is only take righteous risks. Only take righteous risks see Boaz here he's eaten he's drank his heart is merry he's celebrating he's and he goes to lie down again he's not drunk he's just it's just that's just what they're doing he goes and he lies down at the heap of the grain to guard it and then it says she came once he's fully asleep all right she makes sure he's fully asleep and it says she came softly like a ninja Right, like that's where I see like Ruth the ninja, like, like, you know, creeping up on Boaz and uncovers his feet, doesn't want to wake him up, uncovers his feet really lightly, and she lies down, just like Naomi told her to do, and she, and she supposedly, I guess, goes to sleep. I doubt she was really sleeping much, right? She's probably sitting there like thinking, all right, well, what's going to happen now? And so she's laying there, and then something happens at midnight. We don't know what happens. You know, maybe there was a noise, you know, out in the field. Maybe the cold air hitting his feet finally woke him up. I don't know. But Boaz wakes, he gets startled awake at midnight a couple hours later. And, and he t- kind of turns over, right? And he looks and I'm pretty sure that wasn't there when I went to bed, right? Like there's this, there's this figure down at the foot. It's dark. They didn't have lights, right? So it's dark. He's like, he's like who are you? And, and the reason he's asking this question, is he's actually trying to guard himself. You see, there was a unfortunate custom in the culture of Jewish heritage, especially during the time of the judges, where oftentimes during harvest season, during the threshing time, prostitutes would get dressed up and come down to the threshing floor to try to seduce the men and take part of their harvest. And so he doesn't know who this, I mean, he doesn't know who it is. He's just like, who are you? Because he's a, a what? A worthy man, right? He's like, so yeah, I don't want none of that. So he's like, oh, what's going on here? And, and, and just to kind of give you a reference, just so you know I'm not completely out of my head, Hosea 9.1 actually references this issue. It says, Rejoice not, O Israel, exult not like the peoples, for you have played the whore, forsaking your God. You have loved a prostitute's wages on all threshing floors. And so that's using it as an analogy here in this passage, but it's alluding to this, this process that had happened um, pretty frequently in, in the Israelite culture. So, so Boaz is start away. He's like, who is this woman? I don't know who you are. And Ruth responds, I am Ruth, your servant. Right? You still see the humility in Ruth? Like she's not taking it for granted. She's not assuming anything. At this point, he's still the boss. She's still the worker. She's still taking that humble servant position. She's not trying to press in too hard. But then she does get a little bit of boldness to her, right? And she says, spread your wings over your servant for you are one of my redeemers right and what's beautiful here again is she's asking Boaz to answer his own prayer remember when her and Boaz first met and he prayed that God would spread his wing over her and cover her and protect her she's saying yeah 
That's you. Will you spread your wing? And the word there for wing in the Hebrew actually can also be translated garment. And there was a, uh, a process by, of engagement in the Hebrew culture where once you had done the whole courtship thing and dad said yes and the whole thing and you were gonna propose, if you will, they would walk up to the lady and they would take their garment and they would wrap it around her shoulders like a wing showing that they were going to take her in and protect her and, and be there for her. And she's asking Boaz to do that. And she's not proposing, right? Because that's not up to her. She's not supposed to be the one initiating anything, but she's proposing that he propose, okay? Sometimes you've got to kind of get in the way, right? Like she's getting in his way. Like you, sa- you said, you asked God to do this. Now you're a redeemer. So come on, spread the wing, brother, right? Let's, let's. and so she's, She's, she's asking, and this is a huge risk for Ruth, okay? She takes a huge risk here, but notice she does not sin. It's a righteous risk. There's no sin here. She doesn't go, she doesn't, I mean, because at this point, there are some things she could probably do to try to seal the deal, right? But there would be sin, and she doesn't cross that line. She doesn't take it into her own hands and try to force the issue and make Boaz be, be her husband. She just says what she needs to say, and she lets God do the rest but she is crossing some social taboos here right the the gender thing the socioeconomic different social positions they're different ages she's a moabitess he's a jew like there's a whole lot of stuff here that she's crossing lines over that people would not like so she's definitely taking a risk but she's doing it without sinning without crossing that line and then boaz being the righteous man that he is he responds the same Rather than taking advantage of her, he blesses her. He says, may, the, may you be blessed by the Lord. He prays for her again. Ladies, find you a man who prays. And men, be a man who does that. Right? This is the move. Right? And he says, your kindness, your hesed, that we've talked about several times now, that, that good love of the Lord is even greater now than it was before. Because you're a young woman, you're probably attractive. You know, you could have had any guy you wanted. But you submitted to the Lord's plan and have come and and humbled yourself in this situation to ask to do it right. It says you haven't chased young men, poor, rich, or indifferent. You know, this, this, this seems really nice and romantic and almost fairy tale-ish. But a lot of times in our lives, the risks aren't quite that clean. They're not tied up with a nice little bow like that. They're usually a lot more simple and practical and just kind of everyday stuff. Um, you know, a couple weeks ago, we had an unexpected car repair come up. It cost us several hundred dollars. Um, and, you know, it, it's real tempting when those kind of big things pop up and you're not ready for them to be like, you know, we, just not, we need to cut some corners here to make this work. You know, I, I, we, could just, we could just not give this week or this month. We could just hold that back and just, that would help us pay, care, you know, pay this and we wouldn't have to worry about not paying this bill over here or paying that bill over here. Don't do that. At that point, yes, you're in a risk of not paying your bills, but you're gonna be in a whole lot worse if you step over that line of sin and take from the Lord what is his, Right? when we try to step in and fix the risk and make sure it's gonna play out the way we want it to with sinful behavior, that's not gonna be a win. Or maybe it's at work and you're at work and things have been really tight at work lately and you're, the boss is on, you gotta make these numbers, you gotta make these numbers and it's real easy to, to just, you know, I'll just, I'll, just, I'll just adapt the reports just a little bit, right? Like I'll just tweak the numbers just a little bit so they look a little bit nicer. Nobody will ever know. But as soon as you step over that line of deception and you step into sin, God knows. And he's not gonna honor that. He's not gonna honor that risk. You're better off to take the risk with your boss and let the sovereign Lord handle it. Or maybe it's even closer to home. Maybe it's with your spouse. Maybe there's something you need to tell them and you don't wanna tell them because you know they're gonna be upset. You know it's gonna be hard. You don't wanna have that conversation. And you're like, well, I'll just use a little white lie to cover that up and then we won't have to ever deal with that bad move that's not the way you want to play that risk God is with you step up do what's right and let him handle the fallout don't cross into sin 
You see, ultimately God will not honor these types of risks because he will not overlook our sin. The reason that, that Ruth and Boaz can go into the situation and you're gonna see they're gonna come out unscathed is because they kept it righteous. They let the risk be the risk and let the Lord be the Lord. And they didn't try to fix it with their own sin. So the question you have to ask yourself is this, are my risks free of sin? When I finally decide to take that step of faith, to take that risk for the Lord, and can I do it in a way that's gonna be free of sin? Can I do it in a way that's gonna let the Lord work it out and not Micah try to figure it out and tweak it and in my own sinful flesh make it come out the way I want it to play out? So, first of all, seek faith and wisdom. Second, only take righteous risks. And the third and final thing, look at verse 11. It says, and now my daughter, do not fear I will do for you all that you ask for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman and know it is true that I am a redeemer. I'm sorry, and now it is true that I am a redeemer. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning if he will redeem you good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it and measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she, said, <clears throat> then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, these six measures of barley he gave to me. For he said to me, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Third and final thing, welcome divine outcomes. Welcome divine outcomes. Boaz knows that Ruth has taken a big risk here, and so he immediately responds. He says, do not fear, okay? You're safe. I know this was a risk. I know you were scared. You're safe. This is a safe place. And he says, all that you ask, I will do. I'm gonna take care of you. I'm gonna make this right. Another piece of a relationship advice or wisdom here from Ruth. What we see here is we have a worthy woman plus a worthy man equals equally yoked. The Bible oftentimes talks about that married couples should be equally yoked. And throughout my years of church, unfortunately, I've heard a lot of pastors and teachers claim that to be a lot of different things. They said equally yoked means that you're of the same race. They've said equally yoked means that you're from the same uh, social or religious background. They've said equally yoked means whatever, blah, 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 blah. No, the Bible is very clear. Equally yoked means that you both follow the same God. That's what matters. You have a man of faith, a worthy man of faith. You have a worthy woman of faith and God's bringing them together in a beautiful equally yoked marriage. And so he says, I'll take care of you. I'll take care of this. But Boaz understands very clearly the situation. He says, yes, I'm a redeemer, but there's one redeemer that's closer than I. In other words, there's one other guy that has rights to this before I can do it. You see, he's not gonna try to usurp this. He's not gonna try to to be shady about it. He's like, we're gonna do this legal. We're gonna do this upright. We're gonna do this. I don't want anything to come back on this, right? Again, showing his character, showing who he is, And what I think is most interesting though here is that when you really start studying this issue of the kinsman redeemer, Boaz actually had no obligation to marry Ruth whatsoever. See, I I took you through the kinsman redeemer list a couple weeks ago, right? Nowhere in there does it ever say anything about marriage. Redeeming property, yes. Redeeming out of slavery, yes. Redeeming um, for a murder, yes. It never says that nobody, anybody has to marry anyone. So this is not a requirement of him as a kinsman redeemer something they're asking simply because he is. It's actually a little bit closer to a concept in the Old Testament called the Leverite marriage. And Leverite marriage is whenever you would have a husband and wife, the husband died, and the husband's brother would come and marry the, the wife and have children by her so that those children could carry on his brother's name. Okay? But this isn't even that because he's not Malon or Kilion's brother. He's not even a Limelech's brother. He's just some relative. And what makes that so important is he's not obligated to Ruth. He's doing this because he loves Ruth. 
He cares for Ruth. He wants to care for her. Just like Christ, our kinsman redeemer, came to earth, not out of obligation, but because he loved us and he cared for us and he wanted us to be his own. Boaz is such a great example of who Christ is to us. And so he goes and he says, all right, I will, there's one other guy, I gotta go deal with that. If he doesn't redeem you, I will redeem you and we're gonna trust the Lord that he's gonna work this out. Again, Boaz doesn't cross into sin and try to make it his own. He trusts the Lord. Whatever he says is gonna happen is gonna happen. Now he says, lie down till the morning. Again, he doesn't do anything inappropriate. He doesn't cross that line. He just says, lie down. All right, doesn't want to cross into sin here. But he is guarding her. He's guarding her safety. It wouldn't be safe to send her all the way back to the city in the middle of the night. All right, this was a big harvest celebration. It would be like Mardi Gras or New Year's Eve or like you don't want to send her out in the middle of that, right? So she's like, just lay down till the morning and then you can go back and I'll take care of this. But it says that they both arose. They must have had the same thing in their brain. They both arose in the morning before it was light. Right before one could recognize another because they didn't want to give any false impressions. They hadn't sinned. They, weren't, they didn't have anything to hide, but they didn't want to give any false impressions about what had happened or what not had happened. So they both wake up and, he, and he's like, home, before you go back, bring out your, your, your cloak. And so she holds it out and he fills it full of grain again. Right? Like, it's like the fourth time he sent food home with her. And so he's like, all right, now you can go. And so he sends a gift home to Naomi to prove his love and his intentions towards Ruth right? He's letting her know, I'm serious about this. I'm going to take care of this. This is for real. And so men, this is one for you, okay? If you love her, honor her parents, okay? I don't care if you're dating. I don't care if you're married. I don't care if you've married 50 years, all right? If you love her, honor her parents as best you can, any way you can, all right? That goes a long way. So Boaz sends this home to Naomi as a sign of his, of his intentions and I love it whenever Ruth gets back, Naomi's like, tell me, tell me, what, what happened? What, like, she's probably not slept all night, right? Like she knows she set Ruth out into this crazy situation. She's like probably pacing back and forth in front of the door. And as soon as Ruth, she's like, tell me what happened, tell me what happened. So Ruth tells her everything and she's like, oh, all right, good. And she's like, and then, her, then notice her advice kind of changes. At the beginning it was tonight, go, get dressed, talk to the man, like all this. And now she says, wait, my daughter. Right? She's like, she says, wait. See, Naomi trusts in the Lord and his providence. She trusts in Boaz and his character. And she tells Ruth, just wait and see how they work it out. Right? Another piece of relationship wisdom here for, some of the, for you women. <clears throat> if you want to respect your husband, when he says he's going to do something, give him a chance to do it. Don't come alongside him or behind him and do it over again and don't, do it before he has a chance to do it and I'm not saying that we're perfect and I'm sure there's times you've asked him to do something and he hasn't done it and he's not going to do it again and I know, I know, I know, okay? But men need to feel respected by their wives. If they say they're going to do it and you don't give them a chance to feel, fulfill that obligation, it's just cutting that right out from underneath them. And so Naomi says, wait, wait, he's a worthy man, he'll take care of this, all right? And so, this is something when I was thinking through this, I thought about all of you. I thought about those of you who have taken a risk, you've taken a step of faith to be a part of a church plant. Um, Some of you have been with us for a long time and and that's, that's good because those are, these are the opportunities where God has a chance to grow us in our faith to teach us what it means to step out and risk, not knowing how it's gonna turn out. I mean, we just be honest, we don't. None of us can tell the future. And we're taking a faith, we're taking risk through these steps. And I know many of you have been with us for a long time and you are eager, just as eager as we are to see what the outcome of this journey is going to be, right? I'm sure Ruth was very eager to know what was gonna happen with Boaz. But Naomi's advice is, wait. Do you, you did your part. You went to the threshing floor. You made, you've done everything you can do. Do what you can do and then wait. And I'll be honest with you guys. And for me, in my opinion, this is the hardest part of the whole process. 
is waiting and accepting whatever the divine outcome is. Whatever he wants to do, whenever he wants to do it, trusting him and putting that in his hands. And that's why I put this in here because I feel like this is a step you have to be committed to before you ever step out into that faith risk. Otherwise, you will be miserable and it will not go well. And so the question to ask yourself here is this, am I willing to wait for and accept God's response? Am I willing to wait for and accept God's response? <clears throat> My faith in the Lord requires risk, but is never risky because he is always there. If I have faith in him, if I'm seeking wisdom, if I'm staying in righteous risk, and then I'm waiting for his outcomes, whatever comes, whether it's what I wanted or what I, not, what I didn't want, whether it's what I expected or what I didn't expect, ultimately it will be good and it will be right because he is the Lord. And that's what it means to take a risk for the Lord and step out in faith. So <clears throat> having pulled all that together now, I, I wanna kind of end a little bit differently tonight. So like I said, I know you guys, so many of you, you have been here for a while now. You've stepped out in faith. You've taken this risk to be a part of this church plant. And it's so important and it's so great. But I want to just have a little bit of audience participation here tonight, okay? This is a chance where you get to talk, all right? I want you to think about this. Why? Why did you do that? Why did you take that step of faith? Why did you take that risk? Some of you left churches. Some of you left uh, family members of other churches. Some of you left opportunities. And, and like, why? Why would you do that? Why, do you, why would you come and, and be here now? For us, for Courtney and I, we talked about this week. We're here, first of all, because we love all of you. Um, God has endeared us to you and, and in our hearts and but more than that even, <clears throat> we have a passion for St. Louis. We have a passion for this city. We want to see God do something awesome here for his glory. We want to see disciples made um, for the glory of God. And, and we, we believe that he, that, that he wants that. Uh, I don't think it's just us. Um, I think we're in line with, with that. And so the reality is, guys, you know, we've, we're, in this, we're in this risk. We're in this step of faith, and it's awesome. <clears throat> But if we're gonna see this thing really, this church be fully realized, we can't stay where we're at right now. This isn't a healthy thing for any of us to stay in this day. It's not bad for right now, but to continue on long-term in the way we are right now and the functioning that we're in right now, that's just not what we need. It's not what we need. It's not healthy. It's not good for anybody. It's not good for us. It's not good for people who would potentially come. We have to keep pushing towards that launch of a fully realized, God-glorifying, disciple-making, word preaching, serving, generous church, right? We have to have all those things and we have to get to that. And so <clears throat> I, I want to challenge us tonight as we get ready to pray to think about how can we do that? How do we get there? And so I've given you four things. And on the next page on your sheet there, there's actually a list of things I want to walk you through in a second, but they kind of fall into four categories, okay? So the first one is this, pray and fast, We've been doing this for a long time. Um, but now we're at this precipice, guys, where we've, we've got to keep moving things forward. And so I'm going to challenge us. The first thing on your, on your sheet there is I'll commit to pray every single day for this church, for what God's doing here. We need that. We need all of us on that. Okay? And then the second thing, and this is um, something you need to consider, I will commit to fast every Wednesday for the next six weeks. I actually had Monet approach me about this Wednesday night. She's not here tonight, she's ill. But she said, you know, Micah, this is great what we've been doing. She said, but I think like, we, need, we need more. And I'm like, I just wrote the note yesterday in my notes, so this is good. So Monet's already, already committed to fast every Wednesday. Courtney and I are already committing to this. I would ask you to pray and, and, and seek the Lord, and if you can, commit to this as well. For the next six weeks at least, fasting every Wednesday asking the Lord to do this We've just with desperate faith in him that he's going to keep this thing moving towards launch, okay? The second category is focus hard. 
Give time and attention to this every day. Every day. And I, I know you have to go to work and you have kids and you have a life. And I'm not saying all day, every day, but I'm saying, will you commit each day to spend at least some time focusing, like making this a primary focus of your thoughts, letting God speak to you, brainstorming, creatively thinking, what can I do? How can I help? How can we move this? How can we get people? How can we, right? Like, how can we see this church make it to launch? Like we need to be focused on that. It can't just be a, oh yeah, it's Sunday again. I guess we need to go to church and, and talk more about possibly growing a church, right? Like this has to be foremost in our thoughts. And so that's the third thing there on your sheet is committing to focusing on that and focusing in that. The third category is get bold. <clears throat> get bold. Tell anyone and everyone <laughs> who will listen to you about what God is doing. And don't just tell them because you have to tell them the reason I asked you all those questions about why you're here and why you want to see a church planted, that's what you need to tell them. I found a church that's actually teaching me the word of God. I found a church that actually cares about me and my family. Even when we're hurt and when we're sick, they're there for us. I found a church that brings new life and growth to my discipleship. I, I mean, guys, we have, I'm just looking across the room here. I see so many uh, living testimonies already about what God is doing in your lives. And we've, we're not even a full-fledged church yet right? We got people who, before you started coming here, you, you didn't know anything about the Bible hardly, and now you're reading it on a daily basis, right? We got people who, their finances were just terrible, and they were struggling, and they, they couldn't even pay their tithe that they wanted to, and now that we've got things adjusted, and they're able, they're giving to the Lord, and they're giving faithfully, and God's honoring that. We got people who are serving in, in positions they have never served before in a church ever, right? Like God is already working and growing and discipling you and I hope you see that change in your own life, how God is affecting you with this church. And that's what you need to be bold about. It's not just invite to invite. It's, is God changing your life? If he is, I believe he is. He's changing my life. Are we telling people about that and are we asking them to come and experience that with us? And so there's two things on your sheet there. One would be, Will you commit to just think through and pray through all your social circles, work, neighborhood, community, gym, kids' school, preschool, whatever, and, and just make a list of everyone you could possibly think of to invite to harvest, to share this with. And then pray over that list and ask the Lord, God, whose heart is open? Who should I speak with? Okay, and then the next thing below that is an opportunity for you to make a list. I had to give you 10 or 12 slots there. That's all I could fit on the page. I'd have given you more, but um, can you pray for, and like, these are the people that I commit to personally invite soon, like this week, okay? Um, the, the time is now. We, we, we can't, yeah, that one person, I, I wanna invite them, I wanna invite them, and then a month goes by and two months go by and you, we still haven't done it. Or maybe it's the person that you talked to four months ago and they didn't say no, but they never actually came. Maybe that's a revisit, right? Like circle back and be like, hey man, I'm still, got still really doing some cool things in my life through this church. I want you to come and see it and hear it. So help us, let's get bold. And, and again, let's get bold with the reasons why. What God is doing, not just because we need to grow a church. Um, and then the last thing I would say is this, work urgently. Seek out opportunities to help us grow with urgency, immediately. Don't wait until our next core group meeting or our next vision meeting to start making moves on some of this. Like we have to be on this this week now. Um, you don't have to wait for a vision meeting to bring a new person. Bring them to core group. You don't have to wait for core group to introduce them to the church, all right? Call me up. I'll have coffee or dinner at lunch anytime, breakfast, whatever okay i'll do house calls we can and, and honestly guys most of you have been here long enough you don't even need me anymore you've heard my my spiel so many times you could probably recite it better than i could okay like you know the vision of this church you know the four pillars you know what we're doing you can sell them on it just as easy as i can sell them on it. like tell them why you're passionate about this church you give them the vision they know you they trust you they don't know me right you're the face that they love like, this week, can we do that? Can we commit to this? Can we really say, all right, Lord, we're here in faith 
out on this risk and we're trusting you to do this and here's all we have to give. Now do something with it. So with that in mind, I'm gonna lead us into a prayer time here, but let me just say this is a closing thing. In January, we saw God add eight new people to our group. It was awesome, right? It was glorious. It was a total God thing. And we were praising him for that. But I went back and looked over my records and that's the first substantial growth we've seen in probably almost six months. We've added a couple people here and there, but we've also, just be honest, we've lost a couple people here and there as well. It's awesome to see God move like that. But if we're going to keep moving towards launch, we need that again this month. February needs to be just the same. We need to see another eight or 10 or 15 people come in, all right? We've gotta keep that momentum going and this is how we do that, all right? And I know we can do this. I don't don't want this to be discouraging at all. I have utmost faith and believe that God is still in this. I mean, I just heard all your stories again and I'm already loving it again, all right? But we have to get after this and we have to tell them why we love this church and why we wanna see this church planted. We are in this together. The Lord is in this with us. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, 24. He who calls you is faithful and he will surely do it. We serve a faithful Lord and if we will give our best, he will do the rest. And he will come in and he will bring this to fruition. And we are eagerly awaiting that divine outcome to show up. And so I'm asking you to commit with me this week. Let's band together in prayer, band together in boldness and urgency and joy and get after this and let the Lord do an awesome work, okay? So tonight, that's what I wanna focus on for prayer time. I know usually we pray over lots of different stuff, but for tonight, let's just get together in groups, four or five people, and let's just pray and cry out to the Lord and ask him, Lord, please give us the boldness, give us the opportunities, give us... um, the joy to share what you're doing and to see you come through and make this risk into something great, just like you did for Ruth and Boaz, okay? So go ahead and let's circle up in some groups. You're gonna spread out in the room here, three or four or five people in the group. Let's just spend about 10, 15 minutes in prayer and I got a couple of closing announcements and we'll head on out, okay? Thank you guys.